everyone. Hello, world. Thank you so, so much for tuning in to this debut episode of Intertopia. I am your host, Michael. And man, yeah, I'm pretty excited about this podcast. Um, a quick little background of myself. I am 30 years old. I live in California. I am a musician. I play a couple instruments, but mostly bass. And I am also a film fanatic. And over the past few months, I've been toying around with the idea of starting a podcast. And it was just a matter of what do I want to do it about? Because there's so many podcasts out there, and a lot of which I listen to. Uh, I'm a big fan of podcasts. And yeah, so I just decided that, you know what, what do I love the most? And that is definitely music and movies. And so here we are. <laughs> I made a list of over a hundred just different bands, artists, albums, movies, just a lot of cool topics that I really wanted to dive into. And that's basically what this podcast is going to be. Uh, every episode, you know, I'll either be talking about a movie or a band or an album. It's going to be some good stuff. I have a lot of plans for the future of having some guests on. And um, yeah, I'm very excited about all that. So again, thank you so much for tuning in and checking out this first episode with me. And so for this first episode, you know, I was having a little bit of trouble landing on what exactly should be the first episode i'm like okay so i'm a musician so should i i should probably do something with music right and i was it was just so hard to choose from like i said i have a list of over a hundred topics and so as of the date of this recording it's july 9th 2020 happy birthday mom today's my mom's birthday on the 4th of July, a few days ago, my wife, Mariah, and myself, we watched Edward Scissorhands. And you know what? Edward Scissorhands was like number two on my list of movies I wanted to talk about. So I was like, you know what? Perfect. Uh, we're doing Edward Scissorhands for the first one. It's the most recent movie I saw, and it's the one on my list. So, so yeah. So today we will be talking about Edward Scissorhands. And I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Edward Scissorhands is a movie that I have always had in the movie collection basically since I was born. I remember the first time I saw it, I had to have been like three or four years old. I do remember as a kid watching it a lot. I remember watching it so much so that when it would be over, I would go ahead and rewind it and watch it again. Um, the, the thing I remember the most about the movie is was the music. And definitely the way Edward looked. And also the houses. I remember over the years, that's when I would think of Edward Scissorhands, I would really think about the, the bright, colorful houses and the music. Um, like I said, it's a movie that I've always, it's, all, it's always in the collection. And I used to watch it a lot. And before I watched it most recently, I hadn't seen it in about a couple years. And there's something about just some of your favorite movies it's like you never forget them, but when you rewatch it again, it seems like there's always something new that you may have missed or overlooked or you're like, oh, it just reminds you of why you love the movie so much. And that's exactly what happened to me um, watching Edward Scissorhands this last time. All right, so let's get into the history of Edward Scissorhands. Edward Scissorhands, the idea of the movie was inspired by a drawing Tim Burton did when he was a teenager in his sketchbook, the drawing depicted a thin, solemn man with long, sharp blades for fingers. And if you ever get a chance to look at that sketch, Tim Burton did, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, it looks nearly identical to how Johnny Depp would look like in Edward Scissorhands. I thought that was pretty cool how Tim Burton was able to bring his creation to life so well so closely to his original sketch. Also, another little curious fact that I learned doing research for this movie is Edward's hair is based on Robert Smith of The Cure. 
And I can never unsee that. <laughs> Once I found that out, I was like, absolutely, that's who his hair looks like. And if you're not familiar with Robert Smith of the Cure, I recommend you just go Google Robert Smith right now and look at that hair. And then, yeah, go look at a picture of Edward and you'll know exactly <laughs> uh, what I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, actually speaking of Robert Smith, Tim Burton originally wanted him to do the soundtrack and he even sent him the script. But Robert was actually busy recording the Disintegration album from The Cure, which is my favorite Cure album. It's just such a masterpiece of an album. So he ended up passing on that. Like I said, he was working on the Disintegration album. And then it went along to Danny Elfman. And, you know, I think that uh, that's a pretty pretty nice trade-off. Uh, Danny Elfman definitely did some of his best work on this album. For effects, we have Stan Winston doing the effects for this movie. And if you aren't too familiar with that name, Stan Winston, he is a effects artist who did the effects for Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, and he designed the Predator, which, so he does, he's just amazing. He's like the top of his field, and he is just responsible for so many iconic designs and effects, and to have him on this film is just another thing that makes the film so much that much better. So Tim Burton said that this neighborhood in the movie is a representation of his childhood town that he grew up, which is in Burbank, California. And, you know, oddly enough, they actually filmed this movie in Florida, which is just the complete opposite of the country. But it's pretty interesting because even when you see the town in the movie, you know, it seems so American, but you can't really picture it where exactly that is. It doesn't really seem like it's in California. It most certainly doesn't seem like it's in Florida. Uh, to me, when I think of Florida, I don't think of Edward Scissorhands at all. But yeah, they actually filmed it in Florida. And it was very hot and humid, as you could imagine. And actually, Johnny Depp, he actually passed out. Uh, filming one scene at the end where he's running back to his castle he passed out from uh, heat exhaustion so that's a uh, pretty unfortunate he also lost 25 pounds for this role which is I just I think that's pretty crazy and did he really need to do that probably not but you know actors got an actor another pretty interesting fact about this so Tom Hanks and Gary Oldman actually turned down the role of Edward which I found pretty fascinating. I have a pretty hard time picturing either of them in the role of Edward. You know, once you see the movie, it's just so hard to picture anybody else but Johnny Depp playing the role. Especially Tom Hanks. At the, so this by the time this movie was being filmed, it was early 1990. And Tom Hanks definitely was not the huge mega well-revered movie star that he would go on to become. Um, 1990, this is before Forrest Gump, and it's before Philadelphia, which he won his first Academy Award for. And, I mean, I guess, I guess it would have been interesting if Tom Hanks would have got it, but kind of glad that he didn't. And Gary Oldman, you know, Gary Oldman is actually a pretty fantastic actor. If you have not seen him in the movie True Romance, I would strongly recommend checking out that movie. He gives such an iconic performance and it's, you know, I don't want to say too much about that role, but yeah, he just really gets lost in that role and he's really good. He's good in everything he's in really um, from the fifth element to playing Commissioner Gordon. He basically hits it out of the park every single time. Um, so I know he would have been able to pull off the role, but like I said, it's just so hard to picture anyone else except for Johnny Depp playing their role. So I'm just, I think that they cast the perfect person. Yeah, and you know what? I think that the cast for this movie is, per it is perfectly cast for this whole movie. I think everyone is the right character for their role from the parents to the neighbors, um, everyone. It's one of those rare movies where... I don't really feel like there's a weak link in the cast. Um, I feel that everyone really uh, stepped up and uh, did a phenomenal job. Alrighty, so let's get into this movie. Alright, so we the movie starts with some opening credits, and it is, 
going throughout Edward's castle and it's just has some cookies from the cookie machine that we later see in the movie. And, you know, as it's going through the castle, we get a good look at this, the set design and, and, you know, the set design of Edward's castle is just fantastic. Very top notch. Uh, the set design in, throughout the whole movie really is, but I like this opening credits because, yeah, it gives you a nice feel of the movie that's to come. And, you know, all good credits really do that, really set the tone and the mood. Anyways, after that, we cut to an old Kim played by Winona Ryder, and she's in this old person makeup she looks like she's like at least 90 and it's pretty funny to think because Winona Ryder she was actually 18 at the time of filming this movie that old person makeup actually stands up pretty well watching it the other day you can tell that she's just you can tell it's a young person playing an old person but it doesn't look like really bad so that that was a good thing so then after that we have Kim talking to her granddaughter. Her granddaughter asks her, why does it snow? And Kim tells her it's a long story, but the granddaughter insists on hearing it. So then Kim begins to tell her that the story starts with a man who had scissors for hands and that a long time ago, an inventor made this man, but he was very old and he didn't get to finish him. And then she goes on to tell her granddaughter that his name was Edward. And then the movie cuts up to Edward overlooking the neighborhood. And this is our first look at Johnny Depp as Edward. You know, we get a side profile of him, but it's a pretty iconic shot of him overlooking the city. And I really love the look of Edward in this movie. It's just um, iconic to say the least. Anyway, so after that, we're introduced to Peg, played by Diane Weiss. Weiss? Weiss? I'm going to go with Weiss. Um, she's going door to door. Uh, she's an Avon lady. And, you know, <laughs> Diane Weiss, she's just so great as Peg. I think, you know, getting back to the casting, she is perfectly cast as Peg. It's another thing where I can't picture anyone else playing the role. And he, apparently... Tim Burton wanted Gina Davis for the role of Peg. And that's, again, that's just another name where it's just so hard for me to picture that. I'm sure she would have been able to pull it off. She's a very solid actor, but she was busy filming another movie, so she wasn't able to do it. And he wanted to work with Gina because he had just worked with her on Beetlejuice. Anyways, so Peg, she, yeah, I just love her. I just love her. She's just such a sweet, innocuous, loving, just suburban mom, wife. She's great. She's one of my favorites in the movie. So she's walking door to door, and we get a very good look at the neighborhood and just all the iconic houses, the, the way they're colored, very fantastical and whimsical and very timber and and that's one part of the movie that I've always remembered and always stands out is the way the houses look. Then she's going door to door and we're introduced to Joyce, who is played by Kathy Baker. And she is in the kitchen with a dishwasher repairman. And Joyce is pretty great. Watching the movie most recently, I found myself laughing at Joyce more than I ever had. She is just such a ridiculous just like overly sexualized character, very thirsty. She's just always about to jump Edward's bones throughout the movie. And, but yeah, she's, she's pretty great in this movie. So Peg is now sitting in her car, a little defeated because she hasn't been able to make a sale for her Avon. And as she's sitting in her car, she adjusts her side mirror to Edward's castle, which goes perfectly in frame. And that shot is pretty cool because it was actually a model of the castle on the hill that was just like propped up. So when the shot goes perfectly in a frame, it's actually going into frame of the model because there wasn't an actual hill or a castle there. Like I said, they were filming in Florida and I don't believe there's too many hills in Florida, if at all, if any. Um, but yeah, I always loved that shot. I thought they pulled that off uh, pretty seamlessly and it was pretty uh, creative. 
So then we get Peg driving up the hill towards Edward's mansion. And she gets to the gates and she just waltzes right on in. Opens the gate, and then we are introduced to all the topiaries in Edward's lawn. And they are pretty cool looking. There's like a dragon, there's a big hand. And the way that these topiaries were made was actually uh, from chicken wire, and artificial greens were punched in. And they look so good. It had me fooled. I always thought that those were just actual bushes they let grow out, and someone did it. So she then invites herself in to Edward's castle. Which I thought was pretty invasive of her to do, but eh, what are you going to do? So she walks in and she makes her way upstairs to where Edward is. And she sees this, I guess it's like a shrine of articles of people who have disabilities. One of them says, like, boy without eyes, reads with hands. And then we get our first look at Johnny Depp as Edward. We we get our first real look at him, rather. We get his whole body profile. And he's hiding very creepily in the dark corner. And, you know, as a child, this is a scene that always creeped me out. I thought Edward looked scary in the corner. And But then, you know, he comes out and he's just very timid and very shy. And Johnny Depp said that he played Edward like a dog like a timid dog and once I found that out when I was watching the movie I can totally see exactly what he means and yeah so Johnny he's coming out of the corner like a very timid dog and um, you know so Peg is curious she asks Edward if he lives up, up here alone and if he has any parents and Edward says that his father never woke up you know Edward doesn't understand the concept of death so he just he never woke up and I always wondered what happened to the inventor's body. Did Edward bury him in a shallow grave somewhere? Or yeah, I don't know. Because where he died on that first floor, we don't see like a skeleton or anything. Um, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just something that I thought of uh, this last time that I was watching it. Um, so anyway, so after that, uh, um, Peg, she starts tending to Edward's face with all the cuts and scarring that she that he has on his face. And then after that, she tells him that he should just come home with her. And then after that, we get a scene of Peg driving with Edward down to the neighborhood. And during this scene, we see a blonde boy running and sliding on a slip and slide. And apparently that was Nick Carter of Backstreet Boys fame. Nick Carter. He went ahead and confirmed this several times over the years. Yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, as many times as I've seen this movie, I never thought that that random blonde kid would be anyone of note. Even at this time, 1990, the Backstreet Boys definitely were not established. They weren't, I don't think they would even become a thing till like five years later. So this is also the scene where we have all the neighbors noticing that Peg is in the vehicle with another man and they all stop what they're doing and they all go run inside and we see them call each other just to gossip about the news and it's pretty funny. We then have Peg showing Edward the inside of her house and the, this house is ridiculously clean very just sparkly clean nice white carpets very well put together just like peg is you can tell she lives here she then introduces edward to her family through pictures she shows him the picture of her husband bill bowling and of bill and their son kevin fishing and then she shows the picture of kim and it's at this part, watching it last time, I noticed that it's pretty much love at first sight for Edward. The way Johnny Depp plays this look is very brilliantly done, very subtle. But he has this look in his eyes where it's like, again, you could just tell it's love at first sight. Um, it's a pretty sweet scene. So then after that, we have Peg giving Edward a pair of her husband's old clothes to try on. And then we get the pretty funny scene of Edward trying on these clothes and he he manages to get the pants up by sticking his scissors through the belt loops. It's pretty genius if you if you ask me. I don't think he's up there in his castle trying on different wardrobes. So, yeah, he's a quick learner. <laughs> OK, so now it's nighttime and all of the neighborhood women are on the corner of Peg's house, all gossiping to each other and trying to get, take a look inside. 
<laughs> and then all of the husbands come home at the same exact time, which I've always liked. And the wives go running back to their houses, you know, undoubtedly to spread the news of Edward to their husbands. Apparently, according to my mother-in-law, at least when she grew up, that's how her neighborhood was. Um, the wives would talk to each other outside and the husbands would get home at the same time and they would they would go. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> if uh, that's a pretty crazy time, I guess, to be alive, because <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny how it's depicted in the movie but apparently it was really like that so yeah take that as you will so then after that we have the first dinner scene of the movie uh, we have the father bill who is brilliantly played by alan arkin and their son kevin at the dinner table and throughout this whole scene edward is trying to eat a pea <laughs> they have like this pot roast type meal but edward's trying to eat this pea with his scissor hands and it's pretty funny uh, Edward, he's he has his one pea on his scissors and he's getting it to his mouth. And then Alan Arkin, the way he plays the scene is pretty hilarious. He pauses eating and Edward's getting the pea closer to his mouth. And he, Alan Arkin has his mouth open like, uh, and then Edward drops it and he's like, oh, <laughs> just uh, very subtle, very uh, brilliant. Alan Arkin, by the way, has some of the funniest lines throughout this movie. Um, I'll definitely get into those as uh, as we go on. So now it's the next day and all the husbands of the neighborhood, they leave in a very coordinated fashion. Then we get this hilarious scene of Peg putting makeup on Edward, trying to cover up his scars. And this is the scene where she tells him, you know, blend, blend, blend. Blending is the secret. And then she puts on this like paste, this white paste. She puts on way too much of it. And she's just like, darn this stuff. Just a classic scene. So then after that, we are in the backyard where Kevin is in the treehouse with his friend and Bill is trimming one bush in the backyard. And at the same time, Edward comes out in the backyard and he starts working on another bush on the other side of the yard. And in about the span of 20 seconds, Edward makes this dinosaur topiary. And this is where we first get a sense that Edward is very artistic and creative. It makes you think back to that opening scene where we're inside of Edward's gates and we see all the topiaries there. So so we know that Edward did all that. That's what he does when he's up there. And then we cut back to the inside where Peg is listening to her voicemail, which has been filled up from messages by the women of the neighborhood. And they're just asking, like, who is this man? Call me back. And one of them mentions that the kids are up in the mountains and that it's raining and do you think they're okay so after that we are now back outside where edward is finishing making a topiary of the family members uh it's like a family portrait if you will and then after that we are introduced to the religious nut of the community esmeralda and she is just a terrible rude person she enters the backyard and tells them that edward is from hell and that the family are sheep Oh, God, <laughs> just terrible person. And Edward walks towards her and just very innocently says, we're not sheep. And that scares her away as he's walking close to her. I just really don't like people like her. Um, just have no chill whatsoever. So then Peg hears a knock at the door and it's all the wives of the neighborhood inquiring about Peg's new guest. And they basically forced her to throw a barbecue for a meet and greet. <laughs> with Edward you know I love and I hate how nosy and overbearing the neighbors are in this movie so after that we're in the kitchen and Edward is helping Peg prepare for the barbecue and he's chopping up some iceberg lettuce then we get a flashback to the factory when the inventor played by Vincent Price who this was actually his last role he ended up he ended up dying very soon after filming this which is pretty sad, but at least his last role was a very good role. So he then grabs a cookie from the end of the production line and he puts it to what turns out to be Edward. It's this machine with scissor hands that is chopping up greens and he sticks the cookie heart up to the machine's chest. And then that's where we learn that Edward was made from the heart of a cookie. And I love that. I love just how fantastical and fairy tale like that is. So we're now in the backyard where the barbecue is happening. And this is uh, where we get to meet more of the neighbors and their husbands. 
And it's a pretty cute scene. They're using Edward's hands as a kebab, which I always thought was pretty funny. And then Joyce goes over to Edward and she tells him that she noticed that he hasn't been trying any of her ambrosia salad. And that stuff just looks like puke. Looks absolutely disgusting. It reminds me of like pink dyed tuna salad or something. My wife told me exactly what ambrosia salad is and yeah you know I've never tried that and I don't think I ever will. So then after that we have another flashback scene where Edward is halfway built. He's just a torso on up and he's he's on a table and Vincent Price is reading him a story and Vincent Price just speaks so cool. I love his voice. It's very distinct and uh, certainly iconic. And just the way he's dressed is just, it's so pimp. Like, he is just dripping swagoo in this movie. A very cool-looking old man. So, after that flashback scene, we are officially introduced to Kim and her douchebag boyfriend, Jim, played by Anthony Michael Hall. And when I was younger, when I found out it was the same Michael Anthony Hall from The Breakfast Club, that just blew my mind because... I not only did I not recognize him, but I only knew him as that skinny nerd from the Breakfast Club who got bullied. And for him to play a bully just blew my mind. But, you know, altogether, he's certainly a douchebag in the movie and I don't like his character, but he does play him very well. So I'll give him that. So after that, Kim gets in her room and she's popping a pimple or something in the mirror when she notices Edward on her bed and she completely freaks out, just screaming and hollering, which causes Edward to panic. And he starts popping the bed with his scissor hands and it's just spurting everywhere like a geyser. Um, Pretty funny stuff right there. Just the way Kim is freaking out too in this scene just made me laugh. She's just like... Oh my God, there's a murderer in my room. He has an axe. <laughs> just, oh man, good stuff. So then Bill, he takes Edward down to the basement where there's a mini bar and there's a couch with a pullout bed. And I thought it was pretty interesting how, you know, they have this guest over and they're just like, you know, stay in our daughter's room. Never mind the spare room downstairs we have with the bed where you can have your own space. Nah, take our daughter's room. <laughs> I just thought it was pretty interesting i had noticed that this last time watching the movie maybe an oversight of the filmmakers it's not a big deal just something i noticed um anyway so we have bill pouring edward a drink and it's looking like some whiskey and edward is like what is this and bill tells him lemonade (laughs) just uh, i love that alan arkin has some funny dialogue where he talks about you know they reach a certain age they develop these glands in their body and boop they go crazy (laughs) Again, Alan Arkin just has some of the funniest lines in this movie. After that, we have Peg coming downstairs with Kim to formally be introduced to Edward. But by the time they get downstairs, Edward is wasted. So she goes to say hi to Edward and he just passes out at their feet, (laughs) which is pretty funny. So it's the next day and Edward is in Joyce's backyard trimming her bush. Don't laugh at that. And she's making some handmade lemonade. And she starts walking over to give Edward a cup. And as she's walking, her little dog is barking. And off screen, she kicks it. And you just hear the dog yelp. It's kind of messed up, but pretty funny, too, at the same time. So she offers Edward the drink. And he asks, what is this? And she says, lemonade. And he's just reminded of lemonade he had last night. And he just throws up at her feet. Very funny scene. So after that, we get the next dinner scene of the movie where... It's Kim with Jim and some random girl at the table. I'm assuming it's Kim's friend, although the movie never really states exactly who she is. And Edward's cutting the roast with his hands, obviously, since he has the scissor hands. It's pretty funny. So he cuts a slice of this roast and he's going to give it to that random girl at the table. And she's like, I'm sorry, I can't eat that. It's not sanitary. He used his hands. And you know what? I respect that. I don't blame her if I was, uh, uh, you know, especially nowadays, you know, wash your hands, people. After that, we got another scene of Edward uh, making a topiary at some random neighbor's house when her poodle walks in front of Edward and then he just decides to start trimming that dog. And I just love how it's showing how creative Edward is. I definitely wouldn't call him like a deep critical thinker, but he certainly has a lot of 
artistic sensibilities. And I just love that about Edward. We then got a scene after that where the neighbors are all lined up with their dogs. So we have Joyce's dog getting work done by Edward. And then when Edward's finished with her dog, she just loves it. And then she says, have you ever cut a woman's hair? Will you cut mine? And then this scene is pretty funny, I thought, because Edward starts cutting Joyce's hair and she is acting like she is just having a mega orgasm, like the orgasm of her life. (laughs) Like the camera goes down to her feet and she's like curling her toes and she's just making these like sex, like, oh, ooh, like as he's cutting her hair, possibly the thirstiest character ever on film. I would say so. Anyways, moving on. After that, yeah, so it montages through Edward cutting the hair of all the female neighbors. And at the end of the montage, we have him cutting Peg's hair. And I love the style that he gives Peg. Um, The next scene, Winona Ryder, she comes into the room and Edward and Peg are there. And she's like, oh, you got a haircut. (laughs) And I love Peg's response to that. She's just like... Edward did it. Isn't it wild? (laughs) So after that, we have a scene where Edward is taken to a plaza with one of the neighbors to go and get his scissors sharpened. And as they're walking towards the place where he's going to get his scissors sharpened, he notices Kim on the other side of the plaza with douchebag Jim. And, you know, I really like this scene. Johnny Depp's acting here is pretty excellent because you can see in his eyes that he's falling in love with Kim. Uh, he It's just a very subtle, subdued look, but uh, man, Johnny Depp, he's such a great actor. Like they say a lot of good actors act with their eyes and yeah, Johnny Depp, he basically gives like a silent movie performance throughout this movie. He has very few lines. I think it's something like 160 lines or something like that total he had in the movie. After that, we get Edward getting dropped back off at home where Kim and Jim are there and they are locked out of the house. Uh, Edward walks up and he just effortlessly opens the door. Jim notices that he didn't scratch the door or anything. And, you know, that's going to come into play later. We then have a scene of Edward and Peg on a talk show. And, you know, I had trouble figuring out exactly what type of show this was or where it was. Um, It seems to be like a local talk show because everyone in the audience knows who Edward is and knows his story. Um, Anyway, so then we get some people asking Edward if he has a special lady in his life and Edward stares into the camera and then we cut to Kim, Jim, and Kevin watching this show live on TV back at their home and Jim is just being a douchebag like always. I can't say that enough. I'll probably say that a hundred times throughout this episode but yeah Jim is such a douchebag but yeah he tells Kim that oh he's talking about you Kim Uh, just teasing her and all that and Edward so he's leaning in close to the microphone but he's staring dead in the camera and you know he like in his eyes you know he wants to say Kim so he's getting close to the microphone and then his scissors I he electrocutes himself he basically touches the microphone stand causes this big old spark and then they go off air and the gym is just cracking up at that at home anyways after that we have a scene (laughs) we have the famous scene where joyce is showing edward where the future beauty salon will be and she takes him in the back and asks if he would like for her to model i guess it's those like cape things they put around you when you get your hair cut okay i know they have a name i'm just spacing out on it so i'm just going to call it those cape things Um, so she sits Edward down in the chair and I just love how Joyce, she has like this portable radio with Tom Jones loaded up on it. So she plays that and she like does a little strip tease and gets on top of Edward and oh man, Joyce is just ridiculous. Uh, she gets on top of Edward, the chair falls backwards and like a scared little doggy, Edward gets up and, you know, with his head down, gets out of the store real quick. And then this is where Joyce really turns and she goes to the door and she tells Edward, get back here. You can't do that. He didn't do anything. You took advantage of him. Like you are in the wrong here. Anyways, after that, we get Edward going across the street to the diner where he meets up with the family and Alan Arkin asks if he had a productive day where Edward says, yes, Joyce showed me the beauty salon, and then she took me in the back, where she took all of her clothes off. And, you know, having just watched that scene, I was telling myself, but she didn't take all of her clothes off. 
I mean, she took her jacket off and unzipped her shirt a little, revealing some lingerie, but she was definitely fully clothed. She most certainly did not get fully naked. And I, and I get that scene was meant to be comedic, but like I said, we just saw that she didn't take off all of her clothes. So yeah, not a big deal. I just noticed it this last time. So then after that, we got Peg and Edward going to a bank to try and get Edward finance for his salon. And I just love how the bank just says bank. It shows an exterior shot of the bank and then just just in just boring black letters bank. I always like that. Seems very Tim Burton to me. And then, yeah, he gets denied for a loan because he doesn't have a social security card and he doesn't have any credit history. So then after that, we got the scene of Jim and Kim walking on the street and Jim is trying to convince Kim to get Edward involved with them trying to break into Jim's father's safe room. Jim says something like his father has a bunch of goodies in there and he can't get the key because his dad sleeps with it and blah, blah, blah. So then after that, we get one of my least favorite scenes in the movie. They break into Jim's house and Edward unlocks Jim's father's safe room. And as soon as Edward opens the safe room, the door behind him closes lock with this pretty sophisticated security system. Um, You know, I've never known of a security system locking the intruder inside of the room or house. Uh, After that, the cops come and they disarm the system and they tell Edward to come outside. Uh, Edward eventually comes outside and he's holding his hands up and the police think that he's holding weapons. And they're telling him to drop his weapons and Edward's walking closer to them, not dropping his weapons because those are his hands. And then the police chief is like, I think we got a crazy person on our hand. And they're getting ready to shoot him when just in the nick of time, the neighbors all come out and they say that we know him. Those are his hands. They're not weapons. And then the cops like, all right, cuff him. And then it's this pretty funny scene where. Edward has his hands behind his back and they cuff the the two, I guess like the handles of the scissors. They just put the handcuffs around that. I thought that was a pretty funny scene. So after that, Edward goes to jail and Peg and Bill visit him and they ask him, you know, why did he do it? Did anyone put him up to it? And then we get this great line from Peg and Bill where she's like, damn those TV programs. And Bill's like, damn them all to hell. oh man one of my favorite lines okay now that we're here something else that I noticed watching it this last time is you know I think it's pretty odd because during this whole robbery scene Edward's wardrobe completely changes he is now wearing all black he has on a black jacket and a black baseball cap and you would think someone would ask like like hey who dressed you where'd you get that baseball cap from like why are you dressed like you're about to rob somewhere um I don't know. I, you would think that someone would think that he was involved. Someone else was involved, that it wasn't only Edward, but eh, what are you going to do? So the next scene, Edward comes home with Peg and there's a bunch of news reporters at their door trying to get a quote. They're just asking him, like, why'd you do it? Were you set up? Blah, blah, blah. And they make their way inside and Peg is on the phone talking to one of the neighbors. And we hear Peg saying that, of course, the Christmas party is going to happen. We do it every year. And after that scene, we get Kim talking to Edward in the living room and she explains to him that she tried to make Jim stop, but you can't make Jim do anything. And she goes on to say that you must have felt awful when they told you whose house it was, where Edward says he knew it was Jim's house. And she asks, why did he do it? And we get the very sweet scene where Edward's like, because you told me to. Uh, it's just a very sweet scene. It, it just, you know, their love is really growing at this point of the movie. And after that scene, Jim calls for Kim in the backyard, but she's pretty pissed off at him. And she tells him that he should just tell the truth. And then he tries to turn it around on her. He tells her that you can tell the truth too. You were there too. Although she says she didn't want to be there. And he's like, but you were there again. I just really hate Jim. He's just such an abusive douchebag of a boyfriend. So as this is happening, Edward sees Jim talking to Kim and this just, upsets Edward so much and he's walking down the hall scratching up the walls with his hands and we the camera follows him into the bathroom and he's just tearing up the wallpaper and he's just seething looking at himself in the mirror 
And you feel bad for Edward at that, at that point. So after that, we get another dinner scene where Alan Arkin is expressing his disappointment with Edward, tells him that their faith in him is going to be hard to restore. And then he gives Edward a, an ethics test. He asks him, you find a bunch of money on the ground and no one's around. What do you do with it? And he gives him a few options. And like it's like, you know, do you give it to the poor? Do you give it to your loved ones? Do you turn it into the police? And Edward says, you give it to your loved ones. And then at this point, Kim, she gives this big loving smile and Bill is like, no, you turned it into the police. And then Kim kind of stands up for Edward at this point. She's like, you know, that's the nice thing to do. That's what I would do. And Bill is like, well, we're not trying to teach him nice. We're trying to teach him right from wrong. And I really like that scene because it really shows just how sweet and innocent Edward is. He really thinks with his heart, his cookie heart, if you will. So after that, we got a scene of all the women in the neighborhood calling each other, asking if they're going to be attending Peg's Christmas party this year. And they're all pretty sketched out over Edward. They're all saying that, no, I'm just going to tell her I can't make it and all that. And then after that, we have Kim and Peg setting up the decorations for the Christmas party in the living room. And this scene leads to my favorite scene of the movie. Um, So Kim's in the living room and she notices that it's snowing in the backyard. So Kim goes in the backyard and this is the ice dance scene. Edward is in the back working on an ice sculpture and his scraping of the ice is causing it to make it seem like it's snowing. And again, this is just one of my favorite scenes. The music playing in the background right here is just so gorgeous. I know I haven't really talked about the score yet. I will definitely get into that more at the end of this. The score playing in conjunction with the scene of just Winona Ryder dancing in the snow is just so beautiful and gorgeous. And yeah, it's my favorite scene of the movie. So Kim is dancing around in circles and out of nowhere, Jim yells at Edward, scaring him, causing him to flinch, I guess. And he cuts Kim's hand in the process. And I just hate the rest of the scene. Jim starts pushing and shoving Edward, telling him, like, who the hell do you think you are? And tells him to get the hell out of here. And Edward leaves, walking down the street, pretty upset. So then after that, we have Kim talking to Jim, telling him that she doesn't love him anymore and she just wants him to get out of here. And, you know, bravo, Kim. This is the moment we've all been waiting for, I feel like, in the movie. And, you know, he's just being such a douchebag about it. Like, you're going to lose me to that? He's not even human. Just, ugh hate him so then after that we have edward walking down the street visibly upset he's cutting off the legs of random topiaries in the neighborhood he goes in front of the crazy religious woman esmeralda's house and she has a bush in her front window and he makes this quick like devil (laughs) out of it um it's some nice dark humor and nice little payback for her rude comments earlier in the movie We then go back inside of the house where Peg is talking to Kim and it's a pretty sad scene because Peg at this point says that she thinks maybe it's a good idea for Edward to go back home. Throughout the movie, Peg has been the one character who has been the most loving, caring, and open towards Edward. So it's just sad for her to be at this point. While she wants him to go, she knows that, you know, it's for Edward's own good. We then get my second favorite scene in the movie where Edward finally makes his way back home. And by this point, Peg and Bill have left to go drive around looking for Edward. So Kim is home alone. Edward walks in the living room and Kim tells him that she was scared and she tells him to hold her. And Edward pauses and he's staring at her and he raises his hands and says that he can't. He goes over to the window, very sad and sulking. Then Kim goes over to him and lifts his hands up and puts it around her. And they are, it's a very beautiful scene. They're just in each other's warm, loving embrace. And it's a bit of a tearjerker scene. As he's holding her, we get the final flashback of Edward and Vincent Price. It's a scene where Vincent Price tells Edward that he has a present for him. And he holds up the two hands that he was going to give Edward. And as he's showing the hands to Edward, Edward is just very enamored with these hands. He is lightly touching them with his scissor hands. And he is, it's a pretty sweet scene. Vincent Price has this huge grin on his face as he's showing Edward. And the camera stays on Vincent Price's face. And we slowly see his face go from a grin to this, oh crap, look. Um, He knows death is there for him. 
and Vincent Price drops to the floor to his death. And as he's falling to the ground, Edward's scissors cut through the hands that Vincent Price was holding up, showing Edward. And it's a very well acted scene by Vincent Price. And apparently Vincent Price actually passed out at this scene. He was suffering from Parkinson's at this stage of his life. And I guess the lights on set were too hot for him and it caused him to pass out. And apparently Tim Burton kept that scene in the movie. So when we see Vincent Price falling down, that's actually him really passing out in real life. I thought that was a pretty interesting fact. I never knew that. So after that, we get a scene of Jim and his friend. They're in a van and they're both drinking and they're clearly inebriated. Jim then tells his friend to go drive to Kim's house and his friend is like I, I, I'm so wasted I can't and Jim is just demands that he goes and his friend does it don't drink and drive people come on so after that we see Kevin walking home from his friend's house and as he's crossing the street we see Jim's friend driving erratically in the van and he's about to get hit by the van then out of nowhere Edward comes and he tackles Kevin saving him from being hit by the car Kevin is on the floor and Edward's on top of him and Edward's trying to see if he's okay but he's inadvertently just scratching up his face with his scissors and then the neighbors come outside because they think that Edward is attacking Kevin and this is where things just go from bad to worse for Edward Jim comes and he takes Edward off of Kevin and Edward slices Jim's arm and it looks pretty deep and after that we get a scene where Kim is talking to Edward and she they're just staring at each other and the look Johnny Depp has given her is kind of like what should I do and Kim tells him to run and at this point Johnny Depp starts running back to his castle and okay so this is the scene where Johnny Depp passed out from heat exhaustion he was running down the street you know like I said it it was you know it's Florida it's so high and he's in this his outfit was made out of like leather pleather and some black tape they used a few um, different materials for it but yeah when you see it, it it looks so skin tight I could only imagine how crappy it must have felt to film in Florida number one and then also to have to run in that so after that Kim makes her way up to Edward's castle and Edward is already in there hiding out where he was in the beginning where Peg found him and Kim tells Edward that she thought he was dead and then comes douchebag Jim with a gun and I really hate this part of the movie Jim goes to shoot Edward, but Kim moves his arm up and he shoots at the ceiling and that causes the roof to fall on Edward. Then Jim starts beating the crap out of Edward with a crowbar. And I just hate that scene. You just feel so bad for Edward and just hate Jim even more. Uh, Kim then knocks out Jim with a two by four that I guess fell from the roof and she knocks out Jim. No, she actually doesn't knock him out. It causes Jim to fall to the floor and she she grabs Edward's glove and puts it to Jim's neck, tells him to stop or she'll kill him herself. And then Jim backhands Kim, uh, which I hate. And then Edward finally gets up and he gives Jim the death blow, stabbing him in his chest, causing him to fall out of the window And I mean, talk about one of the most just all time cathartic death scenes ever. Uh, I'm really glad Jim died in this movie. He was just so evil and smarmy and just not a good person. So Jim's dead. We see that the neighborhood mob have made their way up to Edward's front gate. And then, oh boy, this, then we get the saddest scene of the movie. Edward and Kim are staring at each other, knowing it's going to be their last time seeing each other. Kim has tears in her eyes and she gives Edward a kiss and says, I love you. And the look that Johnny Depp gives here is so just subtle and powerful. He closes his eyes and he just gives this warm, he just has this warm look on his face when she says that. And you can just tell that that's all he ever wanted to hear from anyone. And yeah, it's the last time they ever see each other. Whew, pretty, uh, pretty powerful scene. Uh, definitely a tearjerker. So Kim then makes her way downstairs and on the first floor of the castle, there is an extra glove that is exactly like the one Edward is wearing on his hands. 
So Kim grabs that and she goes outside, talks to the mob, and she tells them that they killed each other. The roof collapsed on Edward and you can go up and see for yourself. But then she raises the extra glove, insinuating that it was Edward's hand. And then the mob, you just see the look on their faces you know, everyone, while they wanted Edward gone, you can see that they have like this remorseful look on their face. Like, although they wanted him gone, they didn't want him gone like this. So then we get back to old Kim telling her granddaughter the story. And her granddaughter tells her, you could still go up there and see him. And that's when Kim says, no, I'd rather he remember me the way I was. We then cut to Edward in real time. He is trimming some topiaries in his lawn and it cuts back to Kim and her granddaughter and the granddaughter is asking, how do you know if he's still alive? And Kim says, I don't know for sure, but before he came, it never snowed and afterwards it did. It's such a beautiful sentiment. And I should mention that from the beginning of the movie till now, when Kim, old Kim is telling her granddaughter the story, it's snowing. And then Kim has this great line where she tells her granddaughter, I don't think it would be snowing if he wasn't alive. And then she has a beautiful ending line where she says, sometimes you can still catch me dancing in it. Then we cut to the ice dance scene from earlier of young Kim dancing around in the snow. And it shows Johnny Depp cutting away at the ice sculpture. And I love how that's how she knows he's alive because of the snow from the ice sculpture. It's such a perfect ending to the movie. I think it's pretty haunting. And then we get the end credits and that's a wrap on the movie. Man, what an ending. Very satisfying ending, in my opinion. I always loved that. Thought it was very sweet and romantic. But uh, yeah, so, so let's see. Edward Scissorhands was released in December of 1990. Uh, December 7th to be exact the movie had a 20 million dollar budget and on its opening weekend domestically it made 6.3 million dollars worldwide it ended up making 29 million dollars and its total theatrical run the movie made 86.2 million dollars again off of a 20 million dollar budget so the movie was definitely um, a success it was a financial success the studio was definitely happy with that kind of profit. So on Rotten Tomatoes, the movie has a 90% fresh rating with critics and a 91% fresh rating with audiences. Um, so people love the movie. People definitely like it. I would say it's definitely a favorite. At the time, Roger Ebert, he gave the movie two stars, basically saying that the movie looks great, but the characters are weak. And, you know, I guess I could see where he's coming from, but I personally don't agree with that. Um, and, you know, that's also a very common criticism with Tim Burton movies, how he's basically style over substance. And I guess I get that. I, I can see why people say that. But for me, I don't think that's the case with this movie. I think the characters are fleshed out just enough. And it works. So some of the themes of the movie deal with self-discovery and isolation. Tim Burton says that he sees a lot of himself in Edward. And, you know, I don't know Tim Burton personally, obviously, but I can see that. The little I do know of him, um, I can see that. So, you know, if I had to give the movie a letter grade, I would definitely give this movie an A. This movie is a solid A in my book. You know, I reserve A pluses for what I consider to be uh, like masterpieces. And this movie is nearly a masterpiece. There is a couple, I don't know, plot holes, I guess, that kind of take it away for me for making it an A plus. But it is damn near a masterpiece. I think as far as recommendations go... I would definitely recommend this movie if you have not seen it. I think that if you enjoy Tim Burton movies, you'll probably enjoy this one. Um, but I know that this movie is not going to be for everyone. Tim Burton is not for everyone. Uh, and I get that. I get that. But 
I think it's still worth checking out just for the sheer creativity and originality of the whole thing. I really love this movie. I think that just about everything is done perfectly from the acting to the the wardrobe to the set designs to the score. Like, oh boy, yeah, here we go. Yeah, let me get into the score. This score is I think it is my favorite film score ever. I'd have to think about that a little more because John Williams exists and he has made some of the greatest film scores ever. But I mean, this score is definitely, if it's not my favorite, it's definitely my top three favorite film scores ever. Danny Elfman and Tim Burton, they have collaborated many times. And I feel like this is Danny Elfman's best score for a Tim Burton movie. I feel like this score is perfect for this movie. Um, uh, the score is just very beautiful, grand, elegant, lush, ethereal, ominous, and haunting. It's it's one of those scores that you can listen to anytime. Um, there are some scores, especially nowadays, that tend to be very atmospheric, and they only sound good in conjunction with the visuals of that movie that it's for, whereas this score is a piece of art in its own right. You can listen to it just working out, doing chores around the house, whatever. I think Danny Elfman just hit it out of the park with this score. Um, the use of uh, choirs he uses in it is just beautiful. And yeah, um, also another interesting thing, Danny Elfman said that of all his film compositions, this is his favorite. This is his favorite score. And yeah, I would have to agree with him. Danny Elfman is a pretty great and solid film composer. Uh, but there's just something about this that is just timeless. And also Tim. So Tim Burton, he says that he doesn't consider this to be his greatest film, but it is his favorite film. And I think I would have to agree with him. You know, I'd probably say Tim Burton's greatest film would be Ed Wood which came out a few years after this, came out in 1994, which also stars Johnny Depp. Um, that is a fantastic movie. Uh, if you've never seen Ed Wood, I would highly recommend seeking that out and watching it. It's all in black and white. It, it's a pretty brilliant film. I think that's probably maybe technically better made than Edward Scissorhands. But like I said, Edward Scissorhands is my favorite Tim Burton film. It's always been my favorite Tim Burton film. And yeah, I love everything about it. It is a solid, solid, solid movie. So, yeah. So, that's it. That is the episode. Um, that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. It was basically like a trip down memory lane. I had a lot of fun researching it. Learned some things that I never knew about it. Hopefully, you guys learned some things about this movie that you never knew before. So, for next week's episode, I am I decided I'm going to talk about music. And in particular, I'm going to talk about my favorite band, Tame Impala, their debut album, Inner Speaker, which turned 10 years old only a couple months ago. So, in May of this year, it turned 10 years old. And I am very, very excited to dive into that album. I will be joined by a special guest, my wife, Mariah, who is the biggest Tam Impala fan I know next to myself. <laughs> so that should be a lot of fun. So definitely tune into that. And yeah, this was a lot of fun. You know, I am learning as I am going with this whole podcast thing. So, you know, hang in there with me. It's only going to get better. And yeah, again, thank you so much for listening to this first episode of Innertopia. So with all that said, thank you guys very, very much. Be safe, be good humans, and I will catch you next time. Bye.